0: So we are in a series, as you saw in the announcements, Uh, it's called Upside Down. And the uh, premise of this series is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and turned the whole world upside down. And he also wants to do that in our lives. Amen? He wants to turn our lives upside down, not not based on the connotation that upside down has sometimes where everything's chaotic and, you know, if my world gets turned upside down, sometimes that could be a negative thing. But in, in our spiritual life, in our life with Jesus, if he turns our life upside down, it's a very good thing. It's meant to turn it around for him and for his glory and for our good. And so we've been talking about that this month. We talked about who we are. He, he turned that upside down. He talk, turned upside down what we do. And today I want to talk to you about how he turns upside down what we think. Our thought life. Anybody, everybody understands, I hope, that Jesus wants to be Lord over your thought life. How many of you feel like you could use an overhaul in your thought life? Yes, we all... Could use that at times. You, you never get to the place where you've arrived and you have all of your thoughts under control. It's, it's going to be a constant tension in our life until that day where we get to see Jesus face to face. But I, I hope to be able to encourage you and challenge you today and help you uh, to allow the Lord to be Lord over your thought life. So uh, my text verse is out of Psalm 139 as we always do if you wouldn't mind standing with me just in honor of reading God's word. Psalm 139, a beautiful psalm. I encourage you to read the entire chapter. Uh, at some point, because it's beautiful, but I'm just gonna read two verses, 22, or 23 and 24. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the heart of someone that wants the Lord to be Lord over their thoughts. This is the heart we have to have if we want to have victory in the battlefield of the mind. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we do love you today, and Lord, we thank you for this wonderful time we have together. Lord, we come together, we came together to sing and to praise the name of the Lord our God. And Lord, we continue to do that through the message. We thank you that it is your word that transforms us. Let your word be be good fruit in our life. Let our hearts be good soil, that you can produce that fruit that we so desperately need. And God, we pray that you'd receive all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. The title of my message today is Stinking Thinking. We can thank Zig Ziglar for that. He coined that phrase many, many years ago. Uh, but you know, it's funny because when I say stinking thinking, we all know what that means because we all have it. Every one of us has times where we're, we know our, the thoughts, the thinking that we do is just stinking, just not good. And uh, the, the thing is, though, your mind is actually a beautiful thing. It's a very beautiful thing. In fact, a quick Google search will tell us that we have, on average, about 6,200 thoughts a day as a, as a human being. Now, when I look at that, though, I just assume they're averaging out everybody, so that tells me that women probably have about 11,000 and men have about one, right? Because we men supposedly have a nothing box we can go into, and we can go hours without having a single thought. Some of you would say that us men can have years without having a cohesive thought, right? Uh, but no, we, seriously though, we have about 6,200 thoughts in a day, which is incredible to think that we can think that much. And you know, the mind is one of the greatest blessings we have, but it can also be one of the biggest hindrances. Nothing in the world can be so beautiful and so ugly at the same time, is our mind. It can be your best friend, and it can be your worst enemy. It can take you to heights where you feel like you are on a mountaintop, and it can take you into depths of depression, is what our mind can do. And it's something that we are constantly, you know, we we like to say men have a nothing box. We really don't. We just think about things that aren't necessarily as important. We can kind of let it drift a little more sometimes probably. But at the end of the day, the mind is always going. It never stops. So it's always thinking. We're always having thoughts. And here's the deal. We can bring our thought life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We do not have to be at the mercy of our thought life. That's a powerful statement that is absolutely true, guys. And I know you're thinking, well, oh, that's kind of a churchy thing to say and it's easy to say on a Sunday morning. I believe it's true with all my heart. I'm a living example of that. I, can, I have just as much issues with my thought life as the next person. I've had thoughts of feeling like I'm not enough and I'm not adequate. I've had thoughts of feeling like I would never measure up. I have thoughts of depression. All those thoughts, no one is excluded from having those things. And I have seen the Lord do in my life what only he could have done and taken me into that place where I've let him be Lord over my thought life. Now, does that mean I always have those 6,200 thoughts I have a day that they're all good and they're all of God? No way. But I'm winning the battle. We can win the battle. We might lose some moments, but we can win the battle over the mind in our life. And uh, I, I know from me, I remember there, there are certain verses that have stuck out to me over my life that have even just challenged me and encouraged me when it comes to uh, letting him be Lord over my mind. And one of them is in Nehemiah 8.10. Says the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's a really beautiful verse. It tells me that the source of my mental strength is Him. Amen. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Or Hebrews six nineteen, where the writer of Hebrews says we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Amen. We need an anchor for our soul. We need an anchor for our thoughts. He, we have this hope. If you are a follower of Jesus today, you have this hope that is an anchor. For your soul and you know when the mind gets going and the mind goes to places it doesn't need to go that's when the storm is raging and when the storm is raging that's when you really need an anchor for your soul and that's what exactly what he is for each and every one of us but this can be tough there's so many things in life that would fight against us and keep us from winning these battles that are working against us and causing us to lose more battles than we would probably even like to admit sometimes and out this pandemic is front and center right now because it's in our face right A lot of us have lost the battles in our mind in regards to this virus we've allowed fear to have its way in some cases maybe we've even become a a uh a vessel to help bring fear into other people's lives where we've really slid you know it's a slippery slope when we start going down that road and we've allowed uh the the fear that has come with this pandemic to cause us and cripple us and there's no condemnation in that you know we ask god to forgive us and we move on amen but it doesn't have to be that way either you know this pandemic's not over we're we feel like we're on the we're on the downhill side but it's not over there's still gonna be plenty of opportunity for fear plenty of opportunity to worry and to not trust god in this but we can win these battles and i hope to help you today with that uh, god has given us some spiritual tools to help us win the battles but there is a responsibility on our part because you know when if you say if you have a garage full of tools and you're going to build a cabinet when you have some lumber and you got everything you need we would never say okay god there's the stuff i need you to please make a cabinet appear on my wall we'd never do something like that but yet when it comes to uh our our thoughts our our mental abilities the places we go in our mind we kind of want god to fix it but god says and, and god does do that sometimes i believe with all my heart that god does miracles where he is delivered people from fear and anxiety and depression and all of those things. He can deliver completely. I've seen him do it. I saw him deliver joy from fear in a moment. Well, I didn't see it because it happened in the middle of the night, but I heard about it the next morning because <laughs> I'm not up in the middle of the night. But she had this, this crippling fear about over the kids, and the Lord delivered her in a moment. Amen. And it was a beautiful thing, but you know what? You still have to walk that out. Right. It doesn't mean she's never struggled with fear since that day because you know what if you if you get victory over one area that the lord does a miracle and gives you victory and you think okay good i got victory the devil doesn't give up he just finds a different avenue to come on in there's more than one road to get to that place of fear in your life you know oh you're not worried about your kids anymore okay well i'm gonna try to make you worry about your money oh you're not worried about your money anymore i'm gonna try to make you worry about your health there's all kinds of and there's different avenues to even get you to worry about all those individual things it's all over the place the enemy doesn't just sit back go well you know what god delivered her i guess we're gonna have to move on to the next person It's not how he works. So even when we get the miracle that we long for, it still doesn't make it all just go away. God's given us resources to walk out this life to win the battle of the mind. Incredible resources that we can trust him and believe in him for. And I want to just stop for a minute right here just to make sure I make mention of this because I believe it's really important because when we start talking about um, our thought life and even mental health, you know, there's a stigma sometimes in the church especially where the idea of, of if there's a neurological issue and you, you're, it's suggested by your doctor that you take some medicine, that that's a negative thing. That, you know, we're Christians, we should just trust God. You know, if it's, a, if it's a thing where you're struggling with depression, you just need to trust God, you need to pray more, you need to read your Bible more and get it taken care of. Sometimes that is the issue, but sometimes there's a neurological issue and if your doctor's recommending you take medicine, there is absolutely no shame in that. Absolutely no shame just like there's no shame in taking insulin if you have diabetes there's no shame in wearing glasses when your eyes are failing it's the same thing it's we don't understand it as much because there's so much about the brain we don't get but the fact of the matter is if it can be helpful and it can it can aid you in situations church we need to encourage people in that not just not discourage or shame them because there's no shame in it because it can be incredibly helpful now that being said that doesn't mean every time something goes wrong we need to go medicate there's, we, we, only, we only know ourselves and know where we're at But I want, I want you to know that those things Taking medicine to help in a situation where there's a neurological issue is absolutely The same thing as taking medicine for heart disease Diabetes anything else and we shouldn't be ashamed of it. Now that being said The resources god has given us Are really great and the first one that I would want to mention today is just the word of god And I know I mentioned this last week. I feel like I hold this up a lot talk about it. Well, it's kind of what we got You know I mean, you listen to me for about 45 minutes, but after that, that's it. As far as you just sitting down and having somebody talk to you about the Word and talk to you about faith in Christ, there's a responsibility on our part to be in the Word. And this is an incredible, wonderful, beautiful resource that we have. This is what nourishes us. This is what feeds our soul. And the thing is, you know, this this life, the, the thought life that we have is a battle And too often times we go into this battle malnourished because we don't have what we need. You know, probably a lot of military in this room are listening online and you know if you're going to go to the front lines, the military is going to make sure that you're nourished. They're going to make sure you have your three meals and you get plenty of carbohydrates and calories to make sure you have what you need to fight the battle. Yet in the spiritual realm, we don't necessarily always go to what we have as food. And you know, Jesus says that the word of God is food. In fact, in Matthew 4, He says very clearly, this is when Satan was tempting him and he rebuttals Satan, he says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We nourish ourselves on God's word. This is how we fight our spiritual battles. This is one of the ways we fight our spiritual battles. Look at what Hebrews 4.12 says about the word of God. It says, for the word of God is living and active. So this is not just a book, this is live.'" It's alive, it feeds us. Yes, it Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It penetrates. You ever feel like things just don't get through, like you know you're struggling with something in your thought life and you just don't feel like you can make the change, you can't, you can't flip the script, you can't go upside down or get any victory in it? The Word of God penetrates. When nothing else can get through, the Word of God can get through. Dividing those things that we don't need and bringing in the things that we do need in our life. And it says that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So it judges our thoughts, which is a beautiful thing because what we see is when we get in the Word, we start to realize, when when this is nourishing us and feeding us, we start to realize that the thoughts we're having that don't line up with the Word, we see it in here and it judges us. It convicts us. It convicts us when our thoughts don't line up with what the Word says, but you don't know if your thoughts line up with what the Word says if you don't know the Word. It's very simple. It's a very practical application that we can all do in our own life. It judge, and let me tell you something. If you want change in your life, if you want to get victory in your thought life and, and be able to line up your thoughts with the Word of God and be under submission to Him, the only way that change happens, the starting point of that is conviction. It only works if you're convicted. If you get to that place where you realize in your heart that this is not good. And, and that's the starting place that can launch you into really having and seeing change in your life. And it comes from the Word of God. Also, we have the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus today, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are not doing this alone. You do not do this alone. In fact, the Holy Spirit is even who helps us to understand what we're eating. He's the one that brings this back to our remembrance and puts it in our spirit and makes it more than just words on a page. But here's the thing, he doesn't take over. He may live in you. You may be here, you may be baptized in the Holy Spirit today, filled with the Spirit, with the evidence, and, and just loving God, and you feel the power of God in you. He still doesn't take over your life. He doesn't, he doesn't take over your will. He doesn't move your arms for you and move your legs. You still have a will that you have to surrender to him we have to surrender we have to choose we have to make choices to surrender to the holy spirit in our life the apostle paul tells us in romans 8 in verse 5 he says those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires so the choice is ours is what paul's saying here you choose where you're going to have your mind set give you your mind set on the spirit Then you will live according to the spirit and it says that you will uh, you will get what the spirit desires for you well what does the spirit desire well let's go to the next verse verse six he says the mind of the sinful man is death but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace so the holy spirit desires life and peace in your life peace is right here there's nothing like the peace of god in our life So, if we fix our mind on the things of the Spirit, we have life and peace. That's beautiful. Contrary to that, if we fix our mind on ourselves, if we want to do what we want to do, which is the sinful nature, you can think, no, I'm not that sinful, I'm a good person. The sinful nature is you. That's who you are. If you're not living by the Spirit, you're living by the sinful nature. There's no middle ground. There's no, like, normal, neutral, you know, there's no Sweden in the Spirit, okay? There, it doesn't exist. So if you're, living, if you're not living for the Spirit, you're living for the sinful nature, and there's absolutely no chance of winning the battle of the mind because your mind will be set on the things of the sinful man, which is death, and the Holy Spirit is not helping you in that. So I want to give you today, uh, kind of turn your attention to uh, a few things that I think the Lord wants to turn over, turn upside down in our life when it comes to our thoughts. And the first thing is the things that we don't like, Okay. And I'm just kind of boiling these down to three things: fear, anxiety, and worry. These are things the Lord wants to turn upside down in our life. And this is good. We look at that and go, "That's great. I don't want to fear. I don't want to have worry. I don't want anxiety. I don't want any of those things. Depression, despair. I'm I'm definitely ready for Him to turn that upside down for me. Because these, this is probably, this is absolutely one of the biggest attacks on our mind, is fear. Everybody understands fear worry, anxiety, on some level, there's not a human being that doesn't understand what that is like. Some have dealt with it in epic ways where it's completely crippled your life, but all of us have dealt with it in some aspect where it's at least given us a tough time off and on in our life. And I don't know about you, but I am tired of fear crippling God's people because it doesn't have to, church. If you're here and you would say, yeah, I'm, I'm crippled by it. Worry, I just live worried, I live anxious, I live fearful, it does not have to cripple you. It does not have to have its way in your life. And it's not necessarily a medicine thing. You, some of the things we deal with spiritually are things that God has set us free from. We're just not walking in that freedom. And I, I really, really hope that this ministers to your heart and your mind today. I came to tell you today that you don't have to deal, you don't have to live under that, but you have to let it go. You see, fear is not clinging to you. Oftentimes we think like, Fear is clinging to me, and even though I try to push it away, it just, it's like a magnet. It just keeps coming back. Fear is not clinging to you. You're holding on to fear if you are a follower of Jesus and you're struggling with it because Jesus has set us free, so we are free, so if we still have that in our life, it's us holding on to it, and I'm not saying that to condemn us. I'm t- saying that so we can be informed, so we can understand where it's actually coming from. It's not saying it doesn't feel like it's clinging to you because that's true. It does feel that way. But in reality, the fact of the matter is, is that we're actually holding on to it. So we need to understand where fear comes from. We, we need to know that fear is a spirit. Yep. Okay. So when fear is crippling you, it's, it's not just something weird. It's a spirit that is from the devil himself. Okay. It does not come from God. It's from the devil. And it does not own you. Okay. When Jesus died and rose again, he set you free from the power of fear, death, all those sins. None of those things can own you. They only have the power in your life that you give it. Yeah, right. All right? Let's look at what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.7. He said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. So that tells me that there is a spirit of fear. It just doesn't come from him. That's good to know. It's very basic, but it's something we need to be reminded of sometimes. The, power, the spirit he does give us is this. Power, love, and a sound mind. You see, love and a sound mind, it's interesting that Paul uses this as a counter to what fear is because how many of you know when you're really struggling with fear, the first thing to go is a sound mind. You know, when you're really crippled by fear, when you're driving at night, every car that's following you is a stalker, right? Or when you're in the house all by yourself at night, every creek is a killer because you lose that sound mind. You just feel like you're losing your mind sometimes. That's what fear does. And Paul is telling us here that what God gave us is actually a sound mind, a spirit of a sound mind with love and power in our life that counters the fear. Because when somebody on the outside of you sees you dealing with fear and, some, and you're talking to them about some of your fears and that person looks at you like you're crazy, because a sound mind would not feel that way, you, have been, you are holding on to that spirit of fear in your life because that spirit is not from our God. Paul also says in Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Yep. Now, I love this verse, and I'm sure you've heard this verse before, too, because we quote it a lot when we're feeling anxious. But here's the deal, and this is something we have to, we have to understand about this verse. Paul's not saying here as like a command, hey, don't be anxious about anything, because then if you feel that way and you're anxious, then you start to feel bad. Right? Well, he's telling me I can't be anxious, but I am. What do I do? What do I do? Oh my goodness, what do I do? I gotta hide from God, right? That's not what Paul's saying here. What he's saying here is actually giving us permission not to be anxious. He's saying, listen, you don't have to be anxious. You just need some understanding here, and then you won't be anxious. You need a spiritual revelation of who God is, and then you won't be anxious. You don't have to be anxious. It is not something that you just have to live with. That's what he's saying here, not a command to try to make us feel bad if we're anxious, and he's saying not to be anxious. But then he goes on to say there that he says, present your requests to God. So I think how we look at this verse sometimes is we see, okay, don't be anxious. Okay, Paul's saying, I can't be anxious. All right, how do I do that? All right, prayer petition with thanksgiving, present my request to God. Okay, God, I got this anxiety. I need you to deal with it, right? That's how we come to God sometimes. Because like, we're, we're, we're feeling the weight of it. Like, I'm not supposed to be anxious because I'm a Christian. And I even serve in my church, so I can't be anxious. I'm tired of putting on the facade and letting everybody think that I'm not when I really am. So, God, what are you going to do for me? God, it says here to present it. I'm presenting my anxiety. Now, you need to do something about it. And we have this entitlement that God's supposed to do something. Well, what I'm telling you today is that when he says, present your request to God, what He is now he's not saying not, we're not coming to god with some sense of entitlement We're coming to god as a child of the king and we're coming and we're bringing this box of anxiety And we are staying, we come into the throne room and the king is on his throne And we are presenting this box at his feet and we are giving it to him and letting him have it And we're not hanging on to it anymore. I'm not saying god take it from me god saying I don't have to, You just have to give it to me. I don't have to take it from you It's not doing anything except what you're allowing it to do so we have to learn. It's a subtle difference, but it means it's everything. Because then we just sit back. If we're doing it the wrong way, we're, getting, we're sitting there holding on to it and asking God to take it from us. And God's saying, just give it to me. Just give me your fear. Give me your anxiety. Give me your worries. If you, you can trust me that you can give this to me, and I will help you. It's beautiful. And we, But we miss this so often because we, we have a a misconception really of what god's role is in this area of our life or even how this area is controlling us when it's really not controlling us we're just holding on to it in our life he goes on in verse 7 this is what happens when we do this and the peace of god which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus and want the peace of god There's nothing in this world like the peace of God. But there's a kicker here that that we got to get this, okay? Because what we do sometimes is we want the peace from God, and then we'll lay down our stuff when he gives us the peace. It doesn't work that way. God says, if you want my peace, you have to lay it down. You lay it down and trust me, then my peace will come. Don't pray for the peace of God, church, if you're not willing to lay it down. If you're not willing to lay down the fear, anxiety, worry, don't pray for peace because it ain't going to come. Because God will not go against his character. He says, I've already done what I need to do. Now I need you to do your part. I've given you the wisdom and the knowledge to be able to do your part, which is to lay it down and then my peace will guard your heart like Fort Knox. And that's a beautiful thing for us. Now we can have artificial peace sometimes. We can pretend like we have peace, but artificial peace is no peace at all. It's just a facade. God wants us to have real peace, which is the peace that he gives that goes against all, our, all of our understanding. So next I want to talk to you about turning upside down the things that we do like, but that we don't want to admit that we like. It's the things that tempt us, the sins that easily entangle us, the lusts, the cravings that we have in life. He wants to turn those upside down, that he would be able to be Lord over those things as well. See, the first part was things we don't like. We want him to take our fear and turn it upside down. And we know we're supposed to want them to take these things and turn them upside down too, but we struggle with it. Because if it wasn't a struggle, it wouldn't be a temptation. We'd be able to easily resist. But this appeals to our carnal desires, and it always starts in the mind. The temptations always start in our mind, in the battlefield of our mind. And when these sinful cravings gain steam in our life, we can feel just as powerless against these as we could feel against fear in our life as well. Because they can be very, very strong In our life, cravings can be very strong. You know, you just talk about food cravings. Some psychologists call food cravings mind hunger. Because, you know, real hunger for food is something that your body does naturally to make sure that you stay alive. Right? Gives you hunger, so you eat, so you live. Cravings have nothing to do with real hunger. Cravings are all in the mind. But they can be just as strong, can't they? When you just happen to walk by the pantry and there's a Snickers bar in there at 10 o'clock at night. You know you're not hungry, but mm, it's pulling you hard. We had to put a lock on our pantry. <laughs> it's not working, but we've tried. Um, but those cravings can be so strong in our life. It's mind hunger that can, that can absolutely have its way in our life. And we, again, just like with fear, we have to understand where this comes from, where temptation comes from in our life. And James 1.13 tells us exactly where it comes from. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So we start by saying where it doesn't come from. God has never, ever tempted you. Never. That's not who he is. This may be revelation for some of you. God has never, ever tempted you to sin. He does not do it. He does not set us up for failure. Okay? So any temptation you've ever had does not come from God. So where does it come from? Let's look at the next verse. But each one is tempted when... By his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. So temptation comes from your own evil desire. So it comes from you. Temptation is birthed in your mind. And I know you think, well, you know, it's the devil in me. Or it's the devil trying to influence me. Yeah, it is sometimes, but you don't need the devil sometimes. You have the sinful nature that's born into you when you're born. So the, the desires, the evil, lustful desires that we have come from our own nature in our own life this is the sin nature in all of us and it says james says that it, when we are dragged away and enticed that word enticed there is a powerful word it's like we're literally being uh, seduced by our own evil desires and it appears you know when someone's trying to seduce you they're putting their best face forward they're they're showing their best side of you to try to get you to do whatever it is they want you to do and that's exactly what your evil nature does to you. It, it seduces you into thinking, you know what, that's not that bad. It's actually pretty good. You know, the people around you are just a bunch of prudes. This is a good thing. And you're enticed to give in to this nature. But the spirit inside knows it's not good. That's why your heart starts pounding a mile a minute. You know, when you're about to do something you know you're not supposed to do and you get that adrenaline rush and your heart starts pounding, it's because your evil nature is seducing you. And it, can do, it does it in our life. It's always trying to do it in our life. And it's exactly what it is. It's coming from that evil nature. And then he goes on in verse 15. It says, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So here we have to understand this too. Temptation is not sin. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So temptation is not sin. But James is telling us here that the desire is conceived. It gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So we, we can fall into this trap of thinking, well, you know what? Yeah, I'll give in to this temptation, but I'm going to make sure that this sin just stays a baby or a toddler. It's not going to be full grown like James says here. I'm just going to keep this sin as an infant, you know, so I can kind of dabble in it. It doesn't work that way, though. Sin doesn't work that way sin is always going to become more than you originally wanted it to be. Right. You know, that, that allowing yourself to have too many conversations with that pretty girl at work that eventually turns into an affair, and you look back and go, how did this happen? I never intended for this. It's because you allowed that baby to become a toddler, to become a teenager, to become full grown, and it gives birth to death. That's, right. That's what James tells us. That's why when you try to dabble in pornography and you think god ah, it's gonna look every once in a while and next thing you know you're looking every day and then you're looking multiple times a day and next thing you know you're addicted because that's what sin does sin just grows and when it becomes and james has given us a strong warning here a very very strong warning he says when it's full grown it gives birth to death he's not talking about physical death he's talking about spiritual death right. Amen. spiritual death church and you know some of us would say oh it's you know that that's not true it can't be that way you know when we're saved we're saved god forgives all of our sins nothing can separate us from his love but the bible doesn't say that james is telling us very clearly here what happens in fact the apostle john he tells us in his first epistle exactly what this is too he says in john 3 6 he says no one who lives in him keeps on sinning no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him what John is saying here is that when you decide to follow Jesus, and that's what this life is, we're following Jesus, right? He says, take up your cross and follow me. So this journey we're on is with Jesus. We're following him. John is saying here, you cannot walk with Jesus and bring sin with you. When you're, walking, when you're following Jesus, you're walking away from sin. Jesus and sin do not coexist. So he's saying if you just keep on sinning, you really don't know him. You may say you know Jesus, but the Jesus you know isn't the Jesus of the Bible. Now, this doesn't mean we never sin again once we start following Jesus. We still stumble and fall. And we very clearly, what the Bible says is that, and John tells us this as well in 1 John 1. He says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that's for when we, we sin, when we make a mistake, when we give in to the temptation. If we continue to live a lifestyle of sin and think that we can continue to walk with Jesus, John's saying, then you don't know Jesus because that's not who he is. That's not what he does. So James and John both here are giving us a very strong warning about what it looks like to give in to temptation in our life. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 about what God's heart is towards temptation. He says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Everyone say, "God God is faithful. He's so faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So the the issue isn't whether or not God gives us a way out when we're being tempted. The issue is whether or not we want the way out. How many times have you jumped over the hurdle God put in front of you to get to that temptation? I mean, hey, I'm not pointing fingers. I got two hands and I'm, I'm guilty of it too. But he does always give us a way out, And he says he'll never tempt us beyond what we can bear. So we can never say, well, I can't help it. I just can't help it. I got an addictive personality. You know, it's kind of, I've tried, I just can't. I can't. According to the word of God, that's absolutely not what God would say. He wants to, this train of thought, the Lord wants to turn it around, turn it upside down in our life. Because we can live victoriously, even over the thoughts that take us into temptation and, and lusts. And cravings and all of those things in our life That would take us away from God He wants to be Lord over that too And then third and finally He wants to turn turn upside down What we need He wants us to be able to trust Him To be loyal to Him To be confident in Him That He would take us to another level of that Not necessarily turn it upside down Maybe that's not even the right word But to really just take us to a place Where our trust, our loyalty, our confidence Is in Him and in Him alone and man, when we can get to that place, I'll say this, there's nothing in this whole world that we should be spending more of our energy on than trying to get to a place where we trust Him more. Because when you trust Him, everything else can fall into place in our life. And it will always, always be tested in our life, our trust towards God, because there is an innate desire in each and every one of us as human beings to want to understand what's going on in life. And the thing with our relationship with God is that there will always be mysteries. There will always be areas of our relationship with him that we're not going to understand what's going on. In fact, I would go as far as to say there's more times where you don't understand than there are where you do understand. Because that's just who he is. He, it is, so, he is so much more than we could ever dream or imagine. And to try to understand everything is not possible. If, if they wanted to write everything about God in a Bible, this Bible would be so big the earth couldn't hold it but we have what we need. We have the understanding that we need, but we want to understand more because that's just in us. Now, the funny thing is, for those of you that are married, you should, you should be able to grasp the concept that you're just not going to understand everything about somebody, right? I mean, anytime you've got a, two genders living together, there's going to be a lot of head scratching. We <laughs> just don't quite get it, right? We don't understand everything. And so that, that can even help get us to that place where we can understand that it's okay to trust without knowing everything. But that can be very, very difficult for us. But here's the thing we see in Isaiah 55. In verses 8 and 9, he says, "'For my thoughts are not your thoughts, "'neither are your ways my ways,' declares the Lord. "'As the heavens are higher than the earth, "'so are my ways higher than your ways, "'and my thoughts than your thoughts.'" So I don't know how much higher the heaven is than the earth, but I know it's a long way. And he says, as that difference is, so are my thoughts above yours. (laughs) And that can be a challenge for us because we so badly want to understand what God is doing. And there's times we feel like we do. But even the times we feel like we do, we probably don't. It just seems to make sense in our head. But his ways are that much higher than ours. And I think we're okay with it sometimes as long as it's a trivial thing. You know where it's like, man, I don't really understand what God's doing there, but, you know, it's all good. But when it's something that really affects our life, it can be very difficult to trust him, can't it? Or if it's something that's really tragic, you know, where we ask God, why? Why do you allow this? You know, why, why would he allow a young mother to get killed in a car accident? Why would he allow a, a nine-year-old girl to die of leukemia? Why does he allow some of these bad things to happen? And we, we question God, and many people have rejected God because they don't understand why God allows things to happen. Why did God allow this pandemic? And people want to understand. And, and it's, it can draw people, it can push people away from God because they, they say, I don't want to, if that's how God is, I don't want to serve a God like that. Which is ludicrous when you think about it because he's the one that created it all. He's so high above us. He understands so much more than we ever could. So for us to, in our carnal, finite minds, try to think that we have a right to discern what he's doing and what he's not doing, and that's going to determine whether or not we're going to serve him, is laughable. But we still do it. We still do it because we want to understand. And I think we think sometimes, people think, that if I could just understand, I could trust God more. When in reality, I don't think that's true at all. I think our lack of understanding can actually cause us to trust him more if we allow it to. Because when I get in a situation that I don't understand, where else am I going to go? Lord, I don't understand why I lost my job and I don't know what I'm going to do for income next week. I don't understand, where am I, but where am I going to go? Am I going to turn to myself? I know myself well enough to know that that's not a good idea. So where else are we going to go? We've got to turn to him. Not understanding, when it comes to our relationship with God, not understanding what he's doing is not a deficit. It's actually freedom. It's freedom. He's saying we're free to not have to understand. Proverbs 3 tells us, to not not lean on our own understanding. He's given us permission to not have to worry about trying to figure everything out. He's saying, don't worry about leaning on your understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. It's a beautiful thing that we can be free to not have to understand and still to be able to trust him. But we have to choose to focus our energy on trusting and not understanding. That's a big deal. In fact, Isaiah tells us in chapter 26, verse 3, he says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind, whose thoughts, is stayed on you because he trusts you. So this tells me that trusting God and peace go hand in hand. Again, we're back to this, where it comes to trusting him first, just like surrendering our things to him first can bring the peace of God that will guard our hearts. So does trusting him bring the peace of God in our life. So you want the peace of God in a situation, and I know this to be true. I'm learning this in my own life, that if I want the peace of God in a situation I don't understand, the best thing I can do is trust him. If I trust him, then the peace of God comes into my life. If I question and say, well, God, this doesn't make sense. You shouldn't have done that, God. I don't know why you did that. We don't say that out loud, but we think it. And when we think that, we're questioning God. The peace of God isn't coming. Because God says, the peace comes as you trust me, as your mind is fixed on trusting me. That's when the peace comes into your life. And the peace, basically, church, this is the victory in the thought life, is having peace, peace that goes against understanding. The victory in the thought life isn't understanding everything. The more understanding we have, is not going to bring more peace in our life. The more information we have is not going to bring more peace in our life. We know that to be true because the more we watch the news, the less peace we have usually. So it's not about having the information. It's not about having the understanding. It's not about having the education. It's not about having all the knowledge and wisdom. It's trusting. That's where the peace comes. Trusting him, even when we don't understand. And he says, you can do that. You're free to do that. I'm giving you permission to trust me when you don't understand. There's nobody else in the world you can trust that you don't understand. Right? Right? I mean, as a, if you're married, you have a spouse, you don't understand everything, but I definitely have an understanding of a lot. If I absolutely understood nothing about my wife, there wouldn't be peace in my heart, I can tell you that. The only person that you're going to be in a relationship in your lifetime that you can trust without understanding is Jesus. And he says it's okay because I got everything in the palm of my hand anyway. I got it all. You can trust me. I take you back to my text verse, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Will you let him test your thoughts? Will you determine in your heart you're gonna trust him no matter what? Because I'm telling you, the peace of God, the victory over the battle of the mind in our life is on the other side of trusting him. Don't get it flipped around and think, man, if he'll just give me the peace, if he'll take care of these situations, then I'm going to trust Him. It doesn't work that way. We trust Him first, the peace of God that transcends understanding. We don't have to understand. I mean, the Bible even tells us that. It'll guard our hearts. Amen? Would you stand with me as I close? Thank you, Lord. I do want to challenge you today to trust Him, to open up your heart to Him, to give Him what he so longs for, and the beauty of our God is that when He asks us for something, it's always for our good. It's always for our good, always, and it's for His glory, which is a double-edged sword for us. Let's pray. I want to pray for you. I just encourage you to receive this prayer today. If you, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to tell you today that I'm really glad you're here because I believe He brought you here for this purpose. Don't leave here without giving your life to Him, committing your life to Him, setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. In fact, if you want to make a decision today to give your life to Jesus, that you want to turn from doing things your way and do things His way, I'm going to be right up front here after service. You can come talk to me. I'd be happy to walk you through it and pray with you today. But for the rest of us, let's pray that we would go to another level of trusting God, that He would be Lord over our thoughts. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do love you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it transforms. We thank you that we can trust you, God, that we don't have to have it all figured out, but we can trust that you are who you say you are. Thank you for the freedom to not fear, to not worry, to not be anxious, the freedom to not have to give in to temptation and cravings and lusts, and the freedom to trust you and have confidence in you. You're so amazing, God. Would you give us a revelation of that in our lives today? Let this word settle into our hearts and produce fruit in our lives. We give ourselves to you, Lord. We surrender ourselves to you. And God, we thank you that we know that according to your word that you will give us your peace when we trust you. We present our request to you today. We present all those things that are holding us back. We lay them at your feet. We release them into your care. We trust that your peace will guard our hearts. We thank you for it, Lord. We love you. We bless you today, God. Bless everyone under the sound of my voice today, God, for your glory. Help us. We want you to be Lord over our thoughts. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Can you praise God with a hand clap offering today? Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God.